0: Hi, welcome to episode six of my podcast. As I've said before, I'm a comic artist who often writes about travel and hiking and things. And this is an ongoing podcast where I read from my travel journals from about 15 years ago, slightly over 15. Um, And I haven't read these in a long time. So if I sound surprised at things when I'm reading, it's because I literally have no memory of a lot of this stuff. Uh, It was so long ago. Uh, In this section coming up... um, I leave Lake Atitlan where I stayed for three weeks, which was an absolutely beautiful place. And then move on through more of the highlands of Guatemala, uh, some really lush hot springs and also climbing a volcano coming up. Okay, here we go. This next section was written in Chichicastenango on the 26th of April 2004. Our final day at San Pedro was spent kayaking on the lake. We went out at 9am and spent two and a half hours on the water. It felt great to get out onto the lake at our own pace. We paddled out a little way and then sat and rested, admiring the mountains and the sparkles on the immense expanse of water. Our plan was to skirt around the impressive foot of the San Pedro volcano, beyond which the kayak man told us there were two nice beaches. It took a lot longer than I expected to round the foot of the volcano, so we passed the time observing the mansions built at the water's edge, nicely secluded, but usually kind of tasteless. (laughs) There were also terraced fields at the foot of the volcano with workers tending to them. But as we finally approached the turning point, the land became wilder, with nice stretches of lush woods from which emanated exotic bird calls. When we neared the first beach, a woman was washing clothes on the rock, seemingly in the middle of nowhere. Along the beach, there was also a man collecting firewood. We paddled over some surreal underwater plants close to the shore and pulled up at the beach. There was a slightly heavy, hot atmosphere, and I enjoyed the thought that we were right on the toe of the volcano. We rested for a while under a tree amidst bits of broken crab shell. There was a little rubbish, so it was evidently a popular picnic spot, but we were alone except for the local people who appeared to live somewhere nearby, hidden in the woods. We got back into our kayaks and ploughed on round another bend. The occasional ferryboat passed us, and we were glad to be travelling under our own steam for once. Generally the water was deep and dark green, but in shallow spots by the shore there were some patches of pure turquoise. We also passed some occasional polystyrene floats, which we assumed were attached to crab traps. We soon reached another beach, which had white patches that turned out to be heaps of absolutely tiny white shells. I wanted a quick swim, but the cloud had started to gather, and when I plunged in it was just too cold, and I returned to my kayak defeated but I was glad I had dampened my clothes because I knew I was going to get pretty hot on the return trip. We were already quite worn out from using unfamiliar muscles and from fighting the wind as we paddled, so we just went at the return trip with grim determination, (laughs) finally passing the usual local San Pedro women, bathing by the rocks and paddling up to the dock just as more people were setting out in kayaks full of energy. I'd enjoyed it immensely but was shattered for the rest of the day and did nothing but complete a couple of sketches and then have a good early night. The next morning we left for Sheila, um Quetzaltenango. Taking the boat and bus with a young American guy we'd met once before at Joe's Volcano Bar. It was sad to say goodbye to our home of just over three weeks but we still had a lot to see in Guatemala and the money was running out. We reached Cheyla and took a room next to the bus station for 50 quetzales. That was our upper limit for accommodation costs but the room was splendid value with a duvet. We'd only had that once before I think in the whole trip and cable TV. We'd had no TV at all since Oaxaca, and even then it had all been local channels. In the afternoon we popped into town, but couldn't really find much to do. Shaler is probably one of the nicest cities in the country, but there's not that much to do inside the city itself, hence our hotel by the bus station. We had three good day trips planned for the next four days. We returned to our room with a pound of peanuts and settled in for an evening of indulgent TV watching. Ah, it's a shame I haven't written what we watched. The next morning, we caught a bus to the town of Momostenango, almost an hour away. Momostenango is famous for being one of the main centers where the Maya calendar is still observed and used. It was a quiet place, and we made our way to see their interesting geological feature, Los Riscos, strangely eroded pumice spires. There, we ate bread and cheese before heading on to try and find Rigoberto Itzep Oh dear, um, a Maya priest who runs a small center called. Wa where he teaches about Maya ceremonies and does horoscopes. Inquiring in the town, we found ourselves a friendly guide who took us to Don Rigoberto's house. He welcomed us and showed us into a room where we waited while he finished his lunch. A delightful six-year-old girl came and shook our hands and then dragged in a silent and staring four-year-old sister to meet us as well. She said it was her sister, but also her friend. (laughs) That's really cute. On the walls of the room were some interesting photos of ceremonies at t and other archaeological sites, pictures of Don Rigoberto in ceremonial gear and other odds and ends. He returned and sat at a table while he showed us information in English about his services. He had a striking face and a very nice manner and we asked him for horoscopes as it was really the only on-the-spot service. After asking us our birthdays, he calculated our birthdays on the Maya calendar and wrote us out a pamphlet each which explained our horoscopes in English. We asked him questions about the calendar and the photos on the walls. His daughter again came in and showed us a pile of her drawings. They were all of animals, with rough outlines coloured in with bold, multicoloured crayon stripes. We admired them one by one, and Don Rigoberto's wife also came in. They were a nice family. Our discussion of the calendar and ceremonies was frustratingly vague, but the language barrier was a little problematic, and we probably would have had to have taken a course with him to really get any in-depth knowledge. We returned to Sheila on a chicken bus with a madly speeding driver. The chicken buses are kind of enjoyable in a mad way. Outside our hotel, I saw one driver actually accelerate over the speed bumps leading into the bus station. (laughs) A burning mattress lay on the pavement next to me as I watched this. There's a serious problem with rubbish in Guatemala. The extent of the problem of non-biodegradable rubbish is something a lot of the communities don't really appreciate. One evening in Shaila, when we popped out to get some food, we were greeted with the sight of an immense heap of rubbish from the big daily market, all swept into a mountain in the middle of which a foul-smelling bonfire burnt. About twenty stray dogs were knee-deep in the non-burning parts of the pile, scrounging what food they could. It was a strange sight to see the garbage pile heaving with canines by the light of a fire. In Shaila we also discovered a a mall very near to our hotel, and for four days we ate only food from there, bread and cheese and rice, stuffed chilies from the pre-prepared food counter. Very economical. On our second day there, we took an early bus to the nearby town of San Martín, Chile Verde, from where we could begin a two-hour hike to Laguna Chicabal, a crater lake on top of the 2,712-metre Chicabal volcano. I have to say, I completely underestimated how strenuous the hike would be. (laughs) That's fairly typical of me, I think. It began easily enough as we walked through the town to cries of "Hola" from the local kids. When we passed a school, a deafening cacophony of Ola's arose when they all spotted us through the window. <laughs> we started to climb a steep dirt path out of the town, Richard a bit annoyed as his search for cigarettes in all the local shops we'd passed had proved fruitless. Soon I had to sit under a tree and glug some water, the altitude playing havoc with my breathing. The rest of the initial climb into the hills passed with me taking frequent breaks. Although the path was steep and my thighs ached, it was always the breathing that really bothered me. My lungs began to rattle and wheeze a bit, and I was frustrated that every couple of minutes I was so out of breath that I wanted to stop. I even got a bit panicky at times as I seemed to be breathing so deep and hard and yet yet not getting enough oxygen. And all the while, agricultural workers and people collecting firewood strolled past with a polite greeting, sometimes with huge bundles of wood on their backs. They probably do the climb every single day. After a painful eternity, we reached the crest of the first hill. (laughs) The town was spread out in the valley below with the surrounding fields curving up the feet of the hills like a cloth in the bottom of a basket. We hiked joyfully downhill for 10 or 15 minutes, came to the ranger station where we paid our entry fee to a man whose Spanish seemed to be almost as bad as ours. The volcano loomed above us, covered in a lush and verdant blanket of vegetation. I don't think it had actually dawned on me until I reached St Martin that we would actually be attempting to scale a real volcano, only two-thirds of the height of the San Pedro volcano, but still. After a brief rest, we continued on our way, following a sandy path into the woods on the flank of the volcano. It was steep, and the loose sand of the path meant that we slipped and slid around a bit, especially as the path was rutted, creased and full of holes, but it was nice to be in the woods and alone apart from birds and animals. I later saw something largish furry and whitish in the trees but I couldn't make out what it was. It can't have been a monkey I don't think, maybe something like a raccoon? Question mark. So we struggled on at a snail's pace with burning thighs and the occasional rest stop. Finally we came to a sign pointing left or right and took the left-hand path to to the mirador. We followed a wonderfully level path around in a circle for a while, and and emerged by two rickety wooden viewing platforms. The first looked out over the lake, a lovely looking round blue mirror surrounded by near vertical walls of vegetation on all sides. The other mirror door looked out over the surrounding mountains, but it began to shake when we climbed onto it, so we got quickly back down. All that remained was to descend 690 steps to the edge of the water. A narrow flight of steps with rope handrails led down into the trees. We descended with great enjoyment as there were good views of the lake interrupted by points where the vegetation formed a green and cosy tunnel overhead. It was with trembling legs that we reached the bottom of the crater and emerged wobbling at the edge of the lake. To our right there were two groups of mainly Maya women sitting on the ground and apparently receiving some kind of instruction from a couple of standing figures. We were far enough away not to feel we were intruding, so we sat at a nearby picnic table and ate baguettes with cheese. The lake was really stunning. To the Manmire, it's seen as the centre of the universe and is very sacred. We'd not expected to see any ceremonies going on, so we're quite excited to find some activity. After eating, we lay in the shade of a tree to rest and the women began to sing. It sounded similar to what we'd heard once in Todos Santos at night women singing with male voices praying over the top and at times the song changing to a strange mixture of different sounds and notes from each person. We felt really privileged to be the only tourists in this beautiful place with the sun glinting on the lake and the sounds of the ceremony playing over the water. Suddenly the cloud began to roll in over the top of the crater spilling in occasional wisps down to the lake and then dispersing. It was really magical. Soon we decided we'd better begin the no-doubt horrendous climb back up the 690 steps. All I can say is that horrendous is an understatement. (laughs) The only comfort during the interminable climb, being the knowledge that once we reached the top again, it was virtually an uninterrupted descent back to our bus stop. We descended the volcano at a trot that was a little perilous on the loose sandy path, then continued on towards the town, tired but triumphant. As we neared the town, the groups we'd seen on top of the volcano passed us in three pickups. They stopped and offered us a lift, which was a really nice gesture, but as we were so close, we said we were fine on foot. It was a really nice close to the expedition, and we caught our bus back to Shayla feeling very happy. Our final planned excursion into the area surrounding Shayla was to the Hot Springs, Fuentes, Georginas, but we didn't want to go on the busiest day, Saturday, so we spent a day resting and writing our journals in Sheila. On Sunday, we packed and headed to the buses. But a man there told us there were no buses to Zunil, the nearest town, on Sundays. He directed us to a taxi driver who asked an extortionate price. We took the cab after bargaining a little. But as we sat in the cab during the journey, we decided that the no-bus line had probably been a lie that we'd been ripped off. We certainly shouldn't have agreed to the cab without asking around the bus station a few more times. Oh well. It was a nice, easy journey at least, and we didn't have to change vehicles in the town. After passing through Zunil, we headed up into the mountains and were quickly enveloped in thick cloud. We passed several beautiful towns with fields bustling with vegetables. It all looked a lot more healthy than the dusty and barren fields we'd seen a lot of previously. Many workers were sitting in the fields picking onions, piling up cabbages or kneeling in a group peeling carrots and loading them into sacks. The women were all in traditional dress, making vibrant flashes of red among the fields and wisps of cloud. When we reached the springs, we were in a thick fog and couldn't see two metres in front of ourselves. We followed several Guatemalan visitors along a path, with stone cabins on one side and a steep bank of dripping giant ferns and leaves like umbrellas on the other. Eventually, I told Richard to wait with the bags while I went on to find out about the cabins. People seemed to be cooking on all of the stone barbecues allotted to the cabins. It was very busy and I began to worry that all the cabins were taken. We had planned to stay overnight and had brought a lot of food to barbecue. I finally emerged at the pools themselves, three stone rectangles at varying levels with changing rooms and a restaurant to one side. In the thick cloud, it looked very atmospheric. Vapours rose from the water and all around were steep slopes covered in dense vegetation, trees covered completely in bromeliads, vines and the largest ferns I'd ever seen. I asked in the restaurant about cabins and to my relief, there were some available, but there was a second financial shock. They cost 15 quetzalas for two people rather than five. Thanks again, Lonely Planet. (laughs) But I seized the key with excitement anyway. All was going to plan, and we examined our accommodations. The cabin was large, with a bathroom, and an area with a stone depression in the ground. We assumed it had once been for bathing, but it was now a bit decrepit. And a bedroom with a fireplace, a stack of logs, and kindling. We got straight into our swimming costumes and headed for the pools for a soak. The air up in the mountains was decidedly chilly so it was a real joy to step into the hot steaming water. Even more joyful was the experience of being able to actually swim about in hot water. It was way more fun it was way more fun than a bath. <laughs> the pool was busy but the cloud the pool was busy but the clouds meant that you couldn't see from one end to the other so many of the other visitors were hidden from view as you swam around. We wondered why everyone was in one pool. We tried the next one down, but discovered it was quite a lot colder and jumped back into the hot one as quickly as we could. There were only a couple of other gringo tourists, and it was nice to see that many of the other clients were... were indigenous families who obviously came for a day, brought their own food and cooked it on the many barbecues provided. After a while, we discovered that the rock face at the far end of the pool was where the water seeped in. It was extremely hot where it emerged from the rocks, and many people were sitting with their backs to the rocks, wallowing in the heat with dreamy expressions on their faces. As the crowd thinned out, we got a chance to do the same. It was delicious to lie against the rock with piping hot water coming in waves around your shoulders and neck. After an hour and a half, we got out, got dry, and drank a coffee in the restaurant. Then we headed back to our cabin to begin the barbecue feast. All in all, the visit had proved pretty expensive so far, but we were viewing it as our third anniversary treat, so we didn't really mind. Our four chicken breasts had been marinating in barbecue sauce. We also had turkey sausages, chicken burgers for the morning, marshmallows, and various buns and breads. Getting the coal lit was a nerve-wracking task as we had limited fire starters and kindling, but eventually it was glowing and we got our chicken roasting. I popped to the restaurant to buy us a beer each, and when I returned, the clouds seemed to disappear over a period of only a few seconds. A spectacular ravine was revealed right behind our barbecue, A small river fed by the springs ran along quite far below us, and the almost vertical banks of the ravine were bursting with more lush vegetation. It was the most spectacular backdrop for a barbecue I'd ever seen. Our fillets were delicious, but they filled us right up, so we left almost all of the sausages for the next day's brunch. By 4pm, the last day visitors were leaving, as the main three pools were emptied and cleaned at 4. We realised we were the only overnight guests, apart from a family that the staff told us would arrive later. It was back on with the swimming costumes to try out the final pool, set apart from the rest and open all day and night. We had this amazing place to ourselves. The late pool was in a rocky corner with a sheer cliff overlooking it. I think I have a photo of this. Um, When I post this episode on my social media, I'll include this photo with it. A small cave at the back featured a hot waterfall under which you could stand. The water was green and the rocks out of which it seeped full of different crystals and rocks, minerals of every colour, from copper to green to red to white. As we soaked and searched for the vents and extra hot pockets, we looked out over a valley now free of cloud to the mountains beyond. The occasional hummingbird flew overhead in the evening light. The water when it emerged from the rock was hot enough to burn us and wisps of vapour rose in front of our faces as we swam. After a while, we returned, dripping and shivering violently to get our fire going in the cabin. We huddled in front of the fireplace until our faces were glowing, and then decided to head over to the pool for an after-dark dip. The other guests had arrived for a short dip just as we'd left, but they were now shut in their cabin, so we grabbed a candle and headed out into the cold. Getting into the steamy water by the light of a candle was wonderfully strange, and fireflies flickered all around us from right next to the pool to far across the valley. But one unnerving element made us cut short our candlelight swim. The bats. They swooped over our heads as we soaked, and remembering Martin and his bat bite story, we decided to return to the cabin after only 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Martin had um, been bitten by a bat at one point on his travels and had to have uh, rabies injections. We restoked our fire and added the remaining wood before going to bed. The next morning we drank another coffee and had another swim in our, inverted commas, private pool, before starting another barbecue. We had only one fire starter left and I had to go and beg more kindling from the staff to get the coal going. It was touch and go for a while, but it eventually got hot enough and we had a fine feast. Just as we finished, a pickup driver came and offered us a lift to Zunil. It was still expensive, but not half as pricey as the cab, so we accepted and grabbed our bags. In Zunil we called to bus back into Sheila and then another to Chichi Castanango. In another two and a half hours of fun filled chicken bus riding, we arrived in the famous town of Chichi Castanango. A boy showed us to the cheapest hotel in town. We took a rough and ready room for 50 quetzales, the same as the cable TV room in Sheila. <laughs> wow. But the hotel had a balcony with a great view over the town cemetery and a kitchen. Unfortunately, we later discovered that they charged five quetzales each time you used the kitchen for gas. Chichi Castanango was bustling and full of red-tiled roofs. The big market was quiet as it was Monday, but on the steps of the famous church, people were swinging incense burners. We decided to take a look inside. It was impressive. Saints in highly decorated glass cases lined the walls, money and other offerings tucked into their finery or placed at their feet. Incense burned and candles were placed around the floor, which was also covered in pine needles. A large group of people were tightly crowded around a kneeling man. It was impossible to tell what was going on. Against one wall lent three huge decorative arches, extravagantly covered with multicoloured feathers. We'd seen these on postcards. It seemed like at times they were taken out of the church and paraded around the streets. As we entered, we'd put all our spare coins into the collection box, but when we were inside, a boy came up and asked us for an offering for a particular saint. When we told him we'd already put our money in the box, he didn't seem to believe us and went off to tell his dad how outrageously we were behaving. We took a look at the hazy candlelit altar and then left. I think I'll leave the reading there for now because there's a lot coming up, including... Stumbling onto another Maya ceremony in a really remote archaeological site and the rest of the journey from Guatemala to the Honduran border. Thank you for listening. As always, you can see photos and sketches of these different legs of this journey on my social media, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Kat Chapman on Twitter, Katrina Chapman on Instagram. And you can also see my comics and books and things via my website, katrinachapman.com, K-A-T-R-I-O-N-A, and Chapman is C-H-A-P-M-A-N. Thank you.